0: Hey everyone, this is Craig Horlbeck from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. Join me, Danny Heifetz, and Danny Kelly every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to help you win your draft, win your league, and most importantly, avoid that last place punishment. Follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify.
1: This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com.
2: Hello and welcome to Duel Brett on the Ringer NFL Show feed. I'm Nora Princiati.
0: And I'm Stephen Ruiz.
2: And we are here. With a very interesting topic for today's episode to kick things off, we're going to talk about what's going on with NFL offenses. Specifically, why have they been so bad this year? Uh, As we speak to you today, offense is way down across the league. Teams are scoring just over 20 points per game, which is the lowest since 2010 before all the rules changes and the changes in the rookie scale and player acquisition and blah, 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 and the whole avalanche of factors that have contributed to this era that feels like it should last forever or felt like it would last forever of just high and rising scoring across the board. And then this year has happened where you can, as you said, Stephen, in a piece you wrote this week asking, is 2023 the year of the NFL defensive coordinator? Pick a stat, any stat, and you will find that offense is down. Overall, teams are averaging minus 0.4 EPA per play, which is the lowest since at least the year 2000. So this is a small sample size. It's not, we're only a couple months into the season, but it is a pretty stark trend at least so far. In that piece you wrote, Stephen, is it fair to say that when you look at how offenses are performing, how defenses are performing, you see defense actually doing something? Maybe I'm, I'm mischaracterizing this, right? It's It's not just that offense is playing terribly. It's that defense has found a way to strike back this year in new ways that we didn't necessarily expect.
0: Uh, I think that's fair, but I think you could say that offenses have allowed them to do so by, I think, leaning into the bit a little bit too much when it comes to the the passing ah. boom that we've seen. I'm going to blame the, the analytics people. I'm blaming the analytics people. They've ruined our great sport, and I know, like, they say this about every league. Like, they've said it about baseball. They've said it about the NBA, and I usually laugh when I hear that stuff. But I'm going to be hypocritical. And I'm going to say it's actually true when it comes to the NFL, while it's not true when it comes to baseball and basketball, because like I feel like in basketball and baseball, it was a feel thing. It was like, this isn't the sport I'm used to to watching. It's not like in baseball, it's all home runs and strikeouts. When, like, when you were growing up, it was probably more about like bunting and doing the right thing. And then in basketball, the <laughs> mid-range game and the post game. Bunting
2: uh, uh, and doing the right thing is iconic.
0: I don't understand baseball. I don't like baseball. It's a boring sport. But anyway, that's not the point. <gasps> oh, in basketball, the mid-range. Somewhere game Somewhere Ben Glixman
2: just just threw his phone against a wall.
0: That's his fault for being a baseball fan. I, is he a <laughs> baseball fan? I don't want to accuse him of things that Yeah, Ben loves baseball. Shout out to Ben. Ben
2: Glicksman is is a rigor icon.
0: But the NBA, like we we saw post the post game and the mid range game completely go away for threes and, and layups. But like offensive offensive efficiency is way up in the NBA. And it's way up in baseball. Like, the sports got better. In football, the opposite is true. Offensive efficiency is going down. And I just think football is a harder sport to prescribe strategies that would work for every team. Like, yes, if you're Patrick Mahomes, you should pass the ball more often on first and second down. But if you have Jared Goff, that doesn't really work. And you really have to lean into the run game. You have to build the run game. And and that means paying positions that we don't necessarily value, not just like running backs who have become the poster children for optimizing uh, efficient uh, team building, but like offensive linemen. I think offensive line play is is as bad as it's been in a long time. And I know that's a, another thing that people say all the time. But when you watch the way they pick up blitzes, the way they they protect, it's just not as good as it seems to, it, it used to be, it seems. And quarterbacks are under more duress. And I think it makes sense just because the type of offenses we're seeing more require more athletic offensive linemen and smaller offensive linemen in the run game. And that has an effect on pass protection. And like, that's kind of the point. Everything in the sport is just so connected that if you mess with one thing, it kind of messes up a bunch of other things. And leaning into the pass on early downs, I think has had that effect.
2: So... That was something that I was going to bring up is the sack statistics across the league. If I have a thesis and I might have a couple about why this is happening, why offense is down, why defense is up. We never say it like that, but we should, you know, I want to give them their due. Uh, The current sack rate across offenses is 7.2%. So quarterbacks are getting getting sacked on 7.2% of dropbacks. That is astronomically high. And while I'm pretty sure Sam Howell has quite a bit to do with that, and that there might be a couple offenses, a couple quarterbacks who, if we took them out of the equation, the numbers wouldn't be quite so dramatic. I think, and would be curious to dig into this a little bit more, that the rate at which offenses are taking sacks is a huge contributor to why a lot of drives are ending, why there are... Fewer points being scored. Why the red zone is so tough for a lot of teams right now. And I think to some extent that's self-evident. But then you ask, okay, if the sack rate is way up and offensive line play isn't as good, then why is that? Do you think with, like you said, with offensive lines, in that some of the ideal Player types, body type, the needs of a good run blocker for a lot of modern NFL offenses sometimes coming into conflict with the needs of a good pass blocker in, in modern NFL offenses. Is there anything analogous to that going on defensively that's allowing the defensive linemen to have more success while the offensive linemen are maybe having less success?
0: Yeah, I, I the thing is, I don't know if it's just the defensive linemen having more success. I think I'm I'm going to reuse this phrase. Like, I think offenses are allowing defenses to to have this success. And, like, just look at third down. Let's look at sack rates on third down. Starting in 2018, it was 10.9, went to 9.8, 8.9, 9.3. Last year, it was back up to 10.3, and now it's 10% this year. So, like, the sack rate on third down hasn't really moved much. And it's comparable to where it was in 2018 when offensive statistics across the board were at their highest, at their peak. Right we're seeing more sacks on first and second down. And that goes back to what I was saying, where you go away from the run game and you're, you lean into the pass more heavily on first and second down. What's going to happen? Defenses are going to start playing the third down coverages on first and second down. They're going to be able to start presenting these, these exotic fronts, these different looks that are harder to kind of suss out and, and harder to set your protections against. It just makes quarterbacking harder when you're doing that stuff on first and second down more often. And defenses are able to throw their crazy looks at you on first and second down. I think that's what's that what spiked the the sack rate.
2: Potentially dumb question. Does that mean that the first and second down sack rates are spiking to catch up with what is a normal third down sack rates? Are third down sack rates typically higher?
0: Yeah, they're always higher.
2: They're always higher because yeah. that's when the quarterbacks do see those those exotic looks and they're in a disadvantageous situation. So there's a piece of that, that, that brings up a question to me, which is, okay, if the defenses have always been able to sort of throw their a game on, on third downs and have success that way, were they simply not doing it before because offenses were just hurting themselves by an over reliance on the run. I ask this because at a certain point it feels like one of those snakes eating its tail type of questions.
0: Yeah, I I mean I think that's part of it. Like the way run defense works for the most part is you have a guy assigned to every gap. Like and you need to do that on first down because if you don't have a guy in a gap and the offense runs to that gap, he's the running back's probably running for like 15, 20 yards and you don't want to do that. So like that's that's the first thing an offense can do. Like, that's the easiest thing you can do is just hand it off to a back. And I think that's, like, the foundation for every play call on early downs is, like, okay, the first thing we got to worry about is not letting them hand the ball off so they can run for 15 yards. On third down, like, on third and seven, that's not an issue, really. I mean, if they run for 15 yards, yes, it is an issue. But if they run for six, it's not a problem like it is on first down. So you don't really have to pay too much mind. (laughs) Unless you're playing the Eagles. you just, like, Change the math completely on every down. But then you could play unsound, an unsound run defense, which helps playing pass defense a little easier. It makes it a little easier. So I, I just think it's a trade-off. And offenses by putting more receivers on the field, playing like more shotgun, uh, passing the ball at like a 70% rate on first down, just makes it easier to put more cornerbacks on the field, to play a defense that isn't sound against the run, but is sound against the pass. And I think what we've seen is like a blend of play calling on first and second down and play calling on third down. Whereas those two things used to be more siloed back in, like back before 2018, which obviously just makes calling plays on defense easier. If I know that the team's going to run, it's easier to call a play. If I know the team's going to pass, it's easier to call a play. If There's a gray area. Now it's harder.
2: So I want to talk about some of the defensive coordinators that you highlighted in, in your piece. But just to hang on this for one more second, would your prescription be to, to run the dang ball? Is is that what we're saying? That there's some reversion that, that needs to happen?
0: Yeah, like I people will use the phrase, establish the run, and it gets mocked. But I think it would be a more acceptable phrase if we just added one word and we said instead of saying establish run, we say establish the threat of the run. That actually might be two more words, but whatever. Establish the threat <laughs> of the run. Establish that gray area I was talking about where defenses can't lock into one play type. I think that's what you're seeing from the best offenses in the league, even the ones without top quarterbacks. Like, yes, if you're Patrick Mahomes and you have a 70% early down pass rate, you're going to be fine. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what play you call. It's going to work.
2: Well, but, but even have Jer- they have, have reinvested in the run game.
0: Right, like Isaiah Pacheco has been a big part of their evolution over the last two years. But then you look at like San Francisco and Detroit where they're winning with structure. They're winning by forcing defenses to account for the run game and then they pass it with Brock Purdy and Jared Goff. That area of gray is where they live in and they force defenses to live in that area of gray. But other teams that try to replicate the Chiefs' success or the Bills' success and throw it on 75% of early downs, Like they're not living in that gray area. They're living in the black and white area where defense is easier to call. And when you don't have the talent, when you don't have Josh uh, Allen and Patrick Mahomes, it becomes a lot harder.
2: All right, let's talk about the defensive coordinators because you did write a piece headlined, is this the year of the defensive coordinator? And now we're talking about all the things that offenses are doing wrong. So let's give out some flowers. Who is doing a really good job in your estimation of coaching defense this year?
0: Top name is Mike McDonald in Baltimore. I think he's the best defensive coordinator in the NFL right now. And it's it's probably too early to say that. There are guys more decorated, like Steve Spagnuolo, like He's won rings, multiple rings as a defensive coordinator. And he's doing it again in Kansas City this year. But McDonald is just like the perfect modern defensive play caller in that he just can do so much stuff. I think like that's the answer for defensive coordinators this year and for the next few years, is just having tools in the toolbox. And that was always the secret to Bill Belichick's success, is like I don't have a a, a type of defense that I play every week, but I can do so much that I can come up with answers to what you do every week. And Mike McDonald is the best at that. Just watch his games against Cincinnati – and then compare it to his games against Cleveland. It's like two different approaches on defense. But the answers and the results are the same. They take away what you do best and make you play left-handed. And the best coordinators across the league, including McDonald, Spagnolo. I would put, I would put D'Amico Ryans in that category. I would put Bill Belichick in that category still. Like all those guys do that.
2: So, Bill Belichick probably doesn't fall into this category. But, I wonder, and I want to try to find a way to say this in the most straight-faced way possible. Is this group of defensive coordinators really good or defensive coaches really good because we've made it so hard to get a good job being a defensive coordinator or a defensive coach?
0: I think it's, it's mostly that. I think the other part of it, I think there's two other parts to it. I think it's the blending of the college and and pro games, like with RPOs and zone reads. So teams are more willing to hire college coaches on the defensive side, or at least like seek their advice. 15 years ago, there was no reason to go to like a big 12 coach and be like, teach me how to defend a zone read because you weren't seeing it in the NFL. But now it makes sense to do that. So I think you're seeing more ideas. And then I think a lot of these younger guys came up in the coaching ranks seeing all this stuff that they have to deal with. Whereas like a guy like Wade Phillips didn't get his coaching education while learning how to deal with RPOs and zone read. He didn't have right. to deal with that. He was dealing with fullbacks and like, 21 personnel, not 11 and 10 personnel. So I think these guys just have those experiences, those reps against this offense. And it makes sense that the younger guys are kind of carrying the torch for the, the older DCs.
2: I just think about someone like Brian Flores, right, who was a, uh, it might even be generous to say a mixed bag as a head coach. He had some over performing, overachieving stretches in Miami, but also was at the helm for a lot of dysfunction and didn't navigate his relationship with Tua very well. And that's a big part of being a head coach. So I, I don't think that you can say that that was an unequivocally, great stretch on the resume regardless of the challenges that he had there with ownership and a lot of things that I do not think were his fault or or should be pinned on him. But that's also someone who's had some really interesting stops in the NFL has has coordinated really good offenses, has been a high performer in a lot of jobs and Because of everything that happened in Miami, but also because of the dynamics of being a defensive coach in the modern NFL, where it is just a little harder to get jobs. But on the flip side, because it's not as trendy, it's not as, oh, you can rise through the ranks when you become a hot name and go from being a tight ends coach one year to a coordinator the next and a head coaching candidate the next and maybe have a job in, in just a couple of years. I, I do at least just philosophically wonder if we have a lot of people coaching defense who are drawn to it because that is what they're really, really, really good at because there's no, there aren't really a lot of other reasons to be drawn to it just in terms of how we reward those coaches relative to offensive coaches. I don't know how you prove that, but I would I would be curious to hear more and more stories of how these guys got into those roles because if I were a, a an up-and-coming NFL coach right now and all other things were equal, I would want to work on the offensive side of the ball. And I just wonder if that sort of changes the populations in a way that, has challenges if you're on defense, but also can improve the crop of people who are in those roles.
0: I think that makes sense because I, I it does feel like an, anecdotally that offensive coaches get a longer leash and that defensive guys, if they have like a, a bad year, they, they get kicked aside, especially like head coaches with defensive backgrounds. I don't know about defensive coordinators, but that's just how it feels. So I, I think there is something to that theory. I, I think there's a lot of factors in this and some of them are more obvious but I do think like some of it is like psychological and just how coaching staffs and how hiring works and how the NFL has hired coaches over the last especially over the last four or five years. Like I'll even an- like, even Matt Patricia tried to switch sides. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that didn't go so great, did it? I'll throw another theory at you and this is about just the blip or the the drop in scoring overall. And the thing that I'd bring up is the youth of the quarterbacks. Mike Sando at The Athletic, a few weeks into the season, published an analysis that included that in week one, the average age for a starting quarterback was the youngest it had been in the league since 1957. And that was week one when... 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers started, which is no longer the case. So I wonder, and I don't think that we're overthinking this. I think all of these things are, are pieces of the overall puzzle. But I wonder if another one of them is that these defensive coordinators are going into the meeting room at the beginning of every week, and more often than not, they're going, okay, the guy that I'm planning... Planning for. He's a rookie. He's in his second year. He's one of these these young guns who have come into the league as the old guard of Brady, Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers, Manning, Ryan, as all of those quarterbacks have left, and you see certain elements of how defenses are playing this year. There's a lot of zone coverage. There's a lot of decision making and game planning that seems like. It is designed to flummox them, just get them thinking. And I I wonder if another piece of it has to do with the fact that there are some really talented young quarterbacks who pose big challenges with athleticism, with being dual threats, with just their overall skill, but mentally the group just doesn't have as much experience and that's something that defenses are, are exploiting a bit.
0: Yeah, and I think you could see that in how how the trends are going with running the ball and passing the ball, where, like, passing the ball has been on a steady decline since 2018, but running the ball has been more efficient year by year. And I think having more mobile quarterbacks and younger quarterbacks that can run, like the, it seems like every quarterback that enters the league now has mobility. And it's like shocking when one doesn't. Like Mac Jones was a big deal because he couldn't run. But now like everyone you can run zone read with once they enter the league. Like Trevor Lawrence was seen as this prototypical pocket passer, but he was running zone read at Clemson. And he's still doing it in Jacksonville. So I just right. think that's part of it. It's made things easier for offenses. But like you said, it's made things easier for defensive coordinators. And just to go back to the running thing, lining up in spread formations makes it even easier to do to throw these confusing looks at at quarterbacks. And it makes it easier to do it when you have these different body types on the field. When you have a safety, you can rush the passer or drop back into coverage. It just makes everything harder. So I think like it would still have the same effect on, on quarterbacks if they were older. But the fact that they are younger, I, I do think just embellishes that that effect.
2: All right, you heard it here first. Run the dang ball, Steven Ruiz, right. the ringer show.
0: Put some fullbacks and tight ends on the field and run it.
2: Let's do it. All right. You mentioned a safety that could drop back in coverage or maybe rush the passer. I think we can talk about one in a little bit after we take a quick break. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay for every Thursday night football game. Just place a three-leg same-game parlay and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. I like the Buffalo Bills money line, a Stefan Diggs anytime touchdown and a Mike Evans anytime touchdown on top of that as well. And NFL same game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. You can build your own or choose from one of the popular same game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. Just visit FanDuel.com ringernfl Ringer NFL for your chance to get a no sweat same game parlay every Thursday. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. All right, we are back on dual threat. Let's do a little trade deadline check-in. There hasn't been a ton of movement so far. We were so nice to predict all of those trades for teams Last week, and they haven't really taken us up on it, at least not yet. We've still got about a week to go before the deadline. But one interesting move uh, a couple days ago did happen. Safety Kevin Byard traded from the Titans to the Eagles for Terrell Edmonds, plus a 2024 fifth and 2024 sixth round pick. Reaction to this, Steven?
0: I mean, no brainer. For the Eagles, why do the Titans keep picking up the phone the tit- uh, when <laughs> Philadelphia calls, when Howie Rosen calls? Howie! If I, ever, I would I would block him if I was Tennessee's front office. But, I mean, it's just a, a bad look for Tennessee, like beyond the compensation of what they're getting back for a, a guy who's been maybe their best player over the last couple of years, if you're not including, if you're just looking at the defensive side of the ball, not including Derrick Henry. It's never good to be giving away your top players, and this is a second offseason in our second year in a row where they've done that, and they they just so happened to trade him to the same team as they did <laughs> AJ Brown, and that team just so happens to be winning games and going to Super Bowls. I, I I don't know if there's if there's any more analysis needed from the Titans' perspective. It's just like this team has been pulled in so many different directions over the past couple of years. Like when it looks like they're they're starting to rebuild, they make a trade or make a signing that doesn't make sense with the rebuild. Like thinking about what was it, the 2020 season when out of nowhere they signed Julio Jones. And then this offseason they trade for DeAndre Hopkins after trading away AJ Brown. It just doesn't make sense. And it reminds me a lot of like the Panthers and what situation they were in where a couple of years ago when Matt Rule came along, it was like, Okay, they're going to rebuild things. Matt Rule is a program builder, but they held on to their old GM, Marty Herney. And Marty Herney seemed to be making moves to win now. Right. And that's what's happening with Tennessee. And the same result is happening too, where Carolina, two years in a row, is getting rid of its best players, Christian McCaffrey and then DJ Moore, and now is is rumored to be trading again. And Tennessee is in the same spot. It could be trading like Derrick Henry or Ryan Tannehill or, or another big name on the on the roster within the week.
2: Well, we should talk about that. I will say, I hear the argument that if I worked for the Titans and a, a Philadelphia area number popped up on my caller ID, I would just hit decline. But if you're a Ram Carthon, I mean, you kind of have that job because of Howie Roseman. Howie bamboozled John Robinson to the point that there was organizational disagreement. It's at least it seems like that's what the tea leaves said over the AJ Brown trade. And that's why he's sitting in the big chair. So I don't know. Maybe you at least get one goodwill. No. Hey Howie, how's it going? Kevin Okay, Beyer? Yeah, you
0: say that and you you hang up immediately. You don't make the same mistake the last guy made. Howie,
2: thanks. <laughs> no thanks. Goodbye. Have a nice day. I know how
0: this ends.
2: <laughs> Seen this film before. Yeah. Look, I mean, I think Bayard's best days are are probably behind him as a player, but he's still a quality, you know, instinctive, versatile guy. He can play strong safety. He can play free safety. And odds are, now that he's going to be playing behind a much better defensive front in Philadelphia rather than in Tennessee, he'll look even better. Um He's certainly an, an upgrade over Edmonds and should help the Eagles out at a position where they really have a lot of needs. So a no-brainer on, on their end for sure. I agree that it's another sort of piece of this very complicated puzzle the Titans have been putting together where you can't tell which direction they want to go in. Do they want to stay competitive? Do they want to try to keep having you know, Mike Rabel put together these overachieving seasons? Or do they want to get ready for a teardown? I can't say I love this move for them, but if it is the first step in, I don't want to say a fire sale, but several moves to accrue future draft capital, then at least they've got direction, right? We're now talking about, okay, does this sort of signal we're open for business? Derek Henry, make your calls. Who knows what Tannehill is is thinking, what they're thinking about him. He's still injured. Um, Vrabel, by the way, said this week that Will Levis and Malik Willis will like split play time or will play together. <laughs> Which... This is crazy, but that's okay. Um, that doesn't really have anything to do with this. I just wanted to bring it up because whenever a coach is like, no, we're gonna have both quarterbacks play, I'm always like, Oh, I don't know. I man. think it does have
0: to do with it. They can't make up their mind. This is this is very <laughs> right. much them being You're stuck. Right. Between You're right. You're so e- right. This is a team plagued by indecision. They, um, they're stuck between 2022 and 2023 still. Like their their quarterback, they drafted on day two two years ago. Or the guy they drafted on day two earlier this year. Pick one. Pick a thing.
2: <laughs> Pick a side.
0: They're wearing. They're wearing another team's uniforms this weekend too. They're wearing the Houston. Oh, it's it's all one big metaphor. Move <laughs> on.
2: Well, so I, I look. I don't think that you can say that this is a win-win trade, right? I think the Eagles pretty substantially no. won this thing, but. I guess there's a world in which it's a positive for both in the sense that if Tennessee goes in one direction and picks a direction, that probably at least makes up for some of the loss of, man, you're letting a talented player walk out the door and and not getting something particularly exciting in return. I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it. I don't yeah. know, you know?
0: I can't yeah. wait to watch the next game and see all those those jerseys that say, draft capital on the back of them in the <laughs> stands on Sunday.
2: I can't wait 4. to watch 4.5 million, million and, worth and of And see space. all those jerseys on the back that say Will Will Levis. <laughs>
0: strange team. Strange very strange team.
2: Very strange team.
0: But yeah, I I I feel like from Philadelphia's perspective, maybe a safety doesn't like move the needle terribly, but the way they play defense this year, where they get their safeties, where they ask their safeties to make a lot of reads and help out receivers with double teams and brackets and stuff like that. Like the safeties are a big part of the, the coverage, especially downfield. Having a solid guy like Bayard, just replacing Edmonds alone, like that's, that's a big upgrade in my opinion. And I don't know if it's going to help them like over the next two months, but it could be a big deal in January. Like even if it's just one play he makes in the third quarter, I think that would make it worth it, whatever they trade.
2: For sure. The instincts, especially. I mean, his his yeah. his experience has pros and cons, right? He doesn't have the the athletic ability that he might have a few years ago. But that guy knows how a football game unfolds. And when we talk about a, a team that has these big playoff goals, that's the type of player who for a fifth and a sixth. Sure. Easy. Done. Great. How he should call everyone. I mean, I know if this is like a a well-worn trope at this point, but it just <laughs> He does keep getting away with this.
0: Yeah, there's just something about him. I don't know what it, like he just calls up he should call up the charges and be like, "Uh Justin Herbert," he should call up the Chiefs and be like, "Patrick Mahomes." Like he should just shoot a shot. I agree. That would be why really good at, like that yeah, would be why great. Why stop at Kevin Byer?
2: Great in-season Hard Knocks is just don't even focus on a team. I just I want the Howie Roseman in-season Hard Knocks. I want all
0: all trade, trade deadline requests, week
2: his Super Bowl.
0: All trade should be made public. We should know every trade offer that's ever happened. I want to know what the funniest trade offer is. Like does someone would be ever offer, I want to know like that some team tried to trade a fifth round pick for Patrick Mahomes. That would be a, that would be amazing, and I would. Respect there should that be a log.
2: There should be a log. They should have to register it somewhere, and maybe it it becomes public after the deadline or something. It goes up on the wire after the deadline. But I I agree with you. This would be tremendous content. Let's get it done. All right, that's Tennessee. We've been talking about them a lot just because they they have kind of emerged as the key sellers or at least the sellers that have been in the news, because maybe Bayard's going to be the guy who sort of kicks off a run. If, if they do move Henry, if they are open to trades, some of the other teams that we talked about in particular, Denver, they go out and win a game. Congratulations, (laughs) which is not particularly meaningful in the grand of, of Broncos football, but is the type of thing that, With that organization, with your favorite coach, Sean Payton, it makes me a little nervous. By the way, did you see his quote about sushi?
0: No, what was it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. He was driving around the parking lot.
2: Yeah, he said that... um, He was asked why he was yelling at Vance Joseph during the game. And then he said that after the win... I'm going to pull this up. I want to make sure that I get this right. This is important. He said. All right, let's go backwards first. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Hold on. I'm reading the wrong.
0: How many Sean Payton quotes do you have up?
2: Well, two, but... And then he said, that was a good win for us. And yet, I'm driving home last night, headed to get sushi. I don't like sushi. (laughs) and finding myself circling around the parking lot saying, why can't I be happy? Well, you're searching for that perfect game. I'm just that way. No one asked him about this. Like that wasn't the question. The question was why were you mad at Vance Joseph during the game? And Jeff Payton's response was, "I went to get a meal that I actively dislike, and I will never experience joy."
0: I mean, you so could anyway, take I'm and- worried
2: that I'm, I'm worried that beating the the Packers is going to make the Broncos think that they shouldn't trade their players.
0: It's kind of a it's kind of a metaphor f- for his quarterback. Like it's it's working out, but he's never going to be happy with it, even when it works.
2: Are there any other teams I'm just ignoring that? Are there any other teams who you've either got your eye on or feel like the last week maybe shifted where they are in the broader trade landscape?
0: I think Washington, I don't know, it's just a weird situation with Ron Rivera. kind of has one foot out the door and there's the expectation that Biennemi could take over next year. And then it seems like the coaching staff is still fighting for its job because things haven't gone well and Sam Howell over the last couple of weeks isn't as promising as he might have been to Commanders fans a couple of weeks ago. So I wouldn't be surprised if Washington, just out of nowhere, they definitely have pieces they can move, like Chase Young, for instance, who's playing really good football this year. And... Obviously, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, which complicates matters. So I wouldn't be surprised if though if, if the Washington makes a trade that does alter the landscape of the NFL. Because if like Chase Young goes somewhere, like let's say Jacksonville gets him, or let's say Kansas City somehow ends up with him, I don't even think oh, that would work out financially. Like that changes things. I don't know if like Kevin Byard or even like Ryan Tannehill going somewhere moves the needle too much, but you put a blue chip talent on one of these contenders, that shows up in Jaden.
2: Yeah, the Chiefs defense might not need him at this point, but that would be really interesting. Jacksonville, I like that too. Detroit, even? There's a few of these these teams that another blue-chip talent on the defensive line. I'm into it. I'm into it. I would make that call. Howie, make the call. Maybe, you know, in-division trade, Chase Young for like a sixth-round pick and a ham sandwich. It'll be great.
0: But I don't like other than those teams. I don't see a lot of teams on the list that should be like having a fire sale, and I don't see a lot of teams that are going to be necessarily trading for big pieces like a Ryan Tannehill. Like what what what's the market for a quarterback? I don't really see one. Even like Arizona, there's been talk about Kyler Murray possibly being traded. I don't see that as a possibility at all. I don't even see a realistic trade partner. And there has to be another team willing to trade for these guys. I just, I don't know. I don't see it.
2: It is surprising. I I do think it's such a murky field across the league this year. And I, some of the, the real bottom feeders picking up a, a win or two over the last few weeks probably makes the, the buyers and sellers dynamic, a little bit less clear and, maybe a little bit less active because of that. I mean, who knows? Last year, there was so much activity and almost all of it came on deadline day itself, right? There was that just like insane flurry of activity and and trades. This year is probably... I mean, even leaving aside the fact that that hasn't... Nothing like that has, has happened or seemed like it's happening yet. Just by virtue of the fact that last year was an outlier... This year is probably not gonna feel like as exciting a, a trade deadline, but we can hope. Maybe it'll come out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, maybe. I, I, I even think like the the subplot of tanking for Williams or May, I don't even know how much of a factor that is. Just because it's so hard to tank in the NFL. Really the only way to do it is to either bench or trade your quarterback. And that just is so complicated that I don't even I don't even know if it's realistic to do. But if you trade Kevin Byard, for instance, like that's not going to tank Tennessee season. They're not going to be. They're not going to lose like three more games now because they got rid of their starting free safety. So even that's that, true. I, I, I mean, I think and look, this is
2: this is true in terms of the compensation as well. I think it's more about how much draft capital can you pile up right, so yeah. that if you're a team that's near the top of the draft but wants to try to make a move up, if you're going to have to put together some some big package to try to swing a trade for a, a quarterback or to try to be in a position to draft a quarterback. You have that ammo, or if you use other ammo to do that, you have some complementary pieces to try to pick up. Okay, we're not going to have a first-rounder for the next three years, so let's take some more swings later on in the draft, and, and yada, yada, yada. I think it's more about that than... Kevin Byard is no longer on the field, so we're going to be a worse team and, and lose more games. But hey, it
0: doesn't hurt. Someone call up LA. They have a first-round pick they can trade now. I think it just They've it got to do it.
2: Right. They really have to do it. I don't want the Rams to have a first-round pick. I just keep it going. We made fun of them for so long, and now I sit here going, come on, fuck them picks. You can do it. <laughs> All right, you want to take another break and then come back? Talk a little Thursday Night Football?
0: Let's do it.
1: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and gift mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply.
2: All right, we are back previewing the Thursday night Bucks Bills contest. Let's talk about the Bucks here for a little bit because I'm not sure we have very much so far this year. They've flown a little bit under the radar. But Tampa got off to a reasonably hot start this year and then put up 19 points in back-to-back losses. So the first thing I want to ask you, Stephen, is is who is this team to you and who is this offense to you? Is what we're seeing now just them showing who they actually are over a larger sample size? Or was something going right at first that is going wrong now?
0: I think they just ran into some more difficult opponents and and opponents that weren't beating themselves although the Falcons very much tried to beat themselves on Sunday but like <laughs> tried very hard. Some of these games were a little misleading. Like they should not have beaten the the Vikings. The Vikings fumbled the ball a bunch in the red zone and basically handed them that win and they still only won by 3 and then their only other wins are against the Saints and the Bears. So I just think we kind of overrated the team when they got off to a 3-1 and start. And then over the last couple of weeks, you've kind of seen the limitations of having a quarterback like Baker Mayfield, who is good enough to make a well-designed offense work. He's not going to tear it down. But like when the offense isn't so well-designed or or it's overmatched by its opponent, that's when we see bad Baker show up. And we've seen bad Baker show up for two straight weeks. And now they're playing a, a Buffalo team while they've had their struggles, they've been just fine on defense and they are a team that historically preys on quarterbacks that are inconsistent. And I'd say Baker Mayfield fits that bill. So I think what we're gonna see on Thursday night is more of the same from what we've seen over the past two weeks. I just don't know if it's it's that big of a change from what we actually saw over the first four weeks, despite what the record said about the team.
2: Yeah, I do worry about this Bills game and this bills defense for Tampa because Buffalo is super banged up at every level of their defense, but they have such a deep defensive line in the first place that I think that's where they're most able to withstand it. And the running game in Tampa is just pretty abysmal. I think they're thirtieth overall in in rushing EPA. Um, It's something that Baker has started to. I don't want to say gripe; that might be unfair. But to bring up, he said on Tuesday that that they're discovering that they're quote not a run first team. Um, but I wonder if they're just going to end up kind of running into a wall a little bit because it's still it's less and less a part of what they do. Um, but that staff still does, I think, think of of rushing as a considerable part of what they want to what they want to do and who they want to be. So I don't think it's a great matchup for them. I am interested in Baker, not because he's playing well, but because this just seems like such an interesting season for him given how how low his stock dropped. Yeah. Where is he these days to you? Um, I guess literally first of all just in in the quarterback
0: rankings. I've had him, he's hovered around like the low 20s. Uh, but when I wrote his little write-up before the season, the first line was basically about how crazy, how far he's fallen over the past couple of years. Like two years ago, we were talking about him as a possible top 10 quarterback when he led the Browns to the playoffs. It took one year, one bad year, where he had a shoulder injury to erase all of that. And two years later, he couldn't even get a starting job. Or he had to, he had to settle for Tampa Bay, it seemed like. But I, I think the truth is somewhere in between. Like, he's a fine quarterback. He's liked all these other guys who are available, who can run a play-action-heavy offense, but when you put a lot on their plate, they fall apart. But we've also seen guys like that thrive over the past couple of years when they find the right situation. And even this year, Baker was playing, or he was producing at a, at a high level when in that type of environment. But once it fell apart, which it has the past two weeks, we saw what happened. So I don't, I don't know. Baker's been the same guy for like his entire career. <laughs> the perception of him has just changed around him.
2: The funny thing is now, I think if if you gave a lot of people in Cleveland some truth serum, they might have some regrets. Um,
0: yeah. It seems like this year is just like one long addition for all the play action quarterbacks around the league. Auditioning for the 49ers job in one or two years. <laughs> Assuming Brock like kind of falls off, I don't think Brock is going to fall off to the point where he loses the job, but I do think que- there will be questions about it if he that continues to struggle. That would be incredible.
2: Struggle. You know, it would be incredible. Not just the uh, publish every attempted trade list. That was the first great idea of this podcast. It'll probably be the the best great idea of this podcast. But I'll give you a contender for for number two. Every single one of those guys. They should get to, we should divvy up the 49ers season and they should just each get a couple weeks to give it their best go. And then at the end of the year, whoever did the best, that's the starter next year, or that's who gets to, to go on the playoff run or something like that. We'd have to figure it out. But I just think that they should have, the 49ers should be allowed to have 10 quarterbacks But none of them can be elite creators. They all have to be like Brock Purdy and Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo.
0: No, I'm for this. I don't think, I think last year broke the trend, but there was the trend where the 49ers would be good one year and then be bad the next year and they'd alternate. Let's go back to that model. And the bad year is when the quarterbacks kind of fight it out. And then the next year, the one guy gets to start all year and that's the good (laughs) team. It's kind of like a relegation system. I don't know. I think 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 there's a big one.
2: Yeah, we'll workshop it. I think this is promising.
0: And then good stuff. One, once a season, we drop one of the, like the elite quarterbacks into the offense, just to see, just to get a baseline for how the offense would look. Like Patrick Mahomes in Week 18 after the Chiefs clinch, gets to start for the 49ers and and run that offense for one week. I
2: know this is this this can't possibly be true, but what if it didn't look that different?
0: I don't think it. I, like, I don't think that's crazy. Because like it runs Rock,
2: itself. Yeah. R- right. That's the funny thing is like, <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't have the, the. it would look different against really good defenses. Right,
0: yeah. It would look different in the playoffs. Yeah. It would look different like in games like that happened on Monday night when they have to pass in the fourth quarter. Did you see that stat? I mean, it was like getting passed around Twitter. Kyle Shanahan is 0-36 when his team enters the fourth quarter down by eight. If there was ever a, a like a Jimmy G, Brock Purdy stat, that's it. Like that explains the problem with the quarterbacks.
2: That's funny. I did. I have like, I have really departed Twitter.com. And for the most part, I still Smart. feel like a pretty informed human being. But there are certain little, little like the weird stat that's getting passed around. Maybe I'll go back. I don't know. I'm I'm really I'm trying to figure out the replacement for that in my life. Don't go and back. And it's hard to don't find. Go back.
0: Anything else?
2: We'll work on that. Uh what do you think is a is is reasonable expectation for the Bucks offense against this Bills defense?
0: Uh seventeen points. <laughs> <laughs> Did you I don't, I don't know, know if you expected me to be that specific
2: 19. And 19,
0: yeah. 19. I can see 19.
2: All right, they somewhere get it to between 20 17 now, and, now and it's 19 it's getting out of points. control. No, that's yeah. too much. That's 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 the average output for an NFL offense in a game this year. That's true. And now we've come full circle. Um, anything else on this game? Anything on the Bills Bills offense? Any matchups you're particularly excited to watch?
0: I, had to say, I just have a message for Bills fans everywhere. Just, just calm down. Just calm <laughs> down. Especially about the offense. It's going to be fine. Like I feel like the Bills fans, they're two different quarterbacks. But my comparison to Bills fans right now and their complaints about the offense and the play calling is the Russell Wilson Seattle Seahawks heyday. When it seemed like every week, like, Daryl Bevel was a problem. Brian Schottenheimer was a problem, but no, you just have a weird quarterback, and it's always going to look weird, especially when like they struggle a little bit. It's going to look disjointed. It's going to look like the play calling is the problem. It's not. It's the quarterback is just a little weird. So when they look really good, they look unstoppable. When they look bad, they it looks disjointed. It's just a, a byproduct of having Josh Allen as your quarterback. But the Bill, I think the Bills are going to be fine. I wouldn't be surprised if they drop thirty points on the on a good Bucks defense.
2: I mostly agree with you, and I do think that they're going to be be fine in this game I'm not positive the Bills are going to be fine but I do agree with you that everyone's everyone's got to chill because there's nothing they can do about it I mean that's your that's that's I think yeah, part of your point. point is it's just this is who this is who they're going to be you have a top five quarterback for the long term foreseeable future It is the most valuable thing in sports and the Buffalo Bills have one and he also happens to be a merchant of absolute chaos. And I think probably, I wouldn't ask Sean Payton about it, but the secret to happiness might just be acceptance.
0: They're also third in EPA per play. (laughs) Like, come on, what are we complaining about? Oh, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same. Like, of course it doesn't feel the same. Josh Allen was like 20 years old and you guys all thought he was going to be a, terrible. I thought he was going to be terrible too. So when he was like decent, <laughs> everyone was like, whoa, this offense is really good. But even if you go back to Brian Dayball's last season, they lost to the the Jaguars. This, these were the Urban Meyer Jaguars. I know Urban Meyer had been fired yeah. before then, but it was, his stink was still all over the team. And they lost and they scored three points against them.
2: Broadly speaking, they're a very good offense and a very good team. They can beat anyone in the league and they can also lose to anyone in the league.
0: Okay. But let's just blame the right party for that. That being the thing.
2: Let's just let's 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 meditate. Let's engage in some self-care. Let's go for a let's go for a walk. Let's stop and smell the roses. Let's let's everybody's got to calm down. Get off Twitter. Amen. Where it has done. All right. That's all I got for today. Am I missing anything? I'm anything out. we need to no, hit I'm before we get out. out of here? All right. This has been Dual Threat on the Ringer NFL Show feed. I'm Nora Pinciotti. He is Steven Ruiz. Thank you to Stefan Anderson for producing this episode with additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Rangupal. Ben and Sheel will be back next with extra point taken. And Steven and I will be In your feed, Monday morning, recapping all the Week 8 action. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem, call 1 800 Gambler or visit fanduel.org slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1 800 Next Step or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit one eight hundred gamblernet in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8HOPENY or text HOPENY in New York.